Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 226th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. How are you tonight, Cliff? Oh, well, I'm, uh, aside from being, you know, the interrupter, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, California's pretty nice as long as you don't catch the virus. And, uh, I mean, what else is there going on in the universe? Have you have you bumped into foolish folk that refuse to wear masks in your presence? I have seen a depressing number of people who think that the mask is a mouth-only phenomenon and not a nose phenomenon. And as somebody who wears glasses, <laughs> like, I get it. If you put it all the way up over your nose and you don't have it fit just right, it fogs, it fogs. your glasses you up immediately. Yeah. I, I respect that. I fight that myself. But, oh, my God, people. Oh, my God. What is, Some people just, just don't like to protect themselves. It's kind of amazing. Is it, It's got to be better anywhere but uh, the U.S. And I'm, I'm up here in the Bay, which is relatively... Which, until recently, I would have said so, but no, people are dumb up here, too. Is it better for you uh, up in uh, Toronto? Our numbers have been plummeting, uh, but Toronto is still one of the hot spots, just because it's the biggest city in the country. There's like 7 or 8 million people within 50 or 60 miles of here, um, and it's a pretty sprawling metropolis, and folks are definitely out in the parks without masks on, and indoors, most shopping places require it. And so folks do tend to carry them around and put them on when they go indoors, at least. Well, I haven't bumped into anybody that refused to do that yet. Although I'm sure, as with, you know, no city is perfect. I'm sure we've had our share. Man, just, if I can keep masks on my kids in the park, everybody else can keep masks on themselves. <laughs> yeah. Right. We, we had to get Alara a spider, Spider-Man mask to wear before she was totally down with the game plan, but she's on board now. We decorate our masks before we go out, yes. Yeah, that seems solid. So uh, in other news, the reason Cliff is joining me this week is uh, our longtime uh, writer and podcaster extraordinaire, Travis Allen, is a new baby data. He's an MTG dad as of this week. Uh, Very exciting stuff. And if I recall correctly, I think Travis said that, let me see if I can track down the little one's name, Devrim, that's D-E-V-R-I-M, Devrim Allen. I don't know what the middle name was, but uh, that's cute. And, oh, we don't uh, need to little... get into middle names, buddy. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, you know, nobody not likes their middle name. I sure, you know, and only get mine only got mentioned when I was in trouble. I don't know that your Canadian experience matches mine, but uh, for uh, those of you out there, when all three names got said, you needed to run. My the males in my family have some kind of like convoluted algorithm that determines the middle name so I'm, i ended up james thomas gordon chilcott and my father is something like james herbert gordon or gordon herbert or something it's it's a whole thing all i heard was uh, commissioner gordon man i'm sorry i'm that guy <laughs> i'm that guy yeah not it's like the whitest name you could ever have <laughs> the um so here we are a new week Without Travis, who knows when he'll be back? He's he's a brand new dad, and you and I both know what that's like. So Godspeed and <laughs> sleep as him, much as you can. Yeah, Get the we grandparents. Wish him all the best. 
hopefully, hopefully he figures out real fast that uh, being a slave to your wife is an excellent idea uh, for the first few months. As... I'm nodding in severe appreciation over here. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. As, as she struggles through the uh, even tougher uh, new motherhood angle. You know, just get her whatever she wants. Make sure she's got lots of pillows. Warm that milk up if you need to. Go get extra diapers. Pull your weight all over the house. Just do your thing. Learn how to Travis. change diapers silently and in the dark. Yeah. Travis is a pretty fastidious and responsible young fellow, so I'm sure he'll be fine. But Young uh, fellow. <laughs> young fellow. All right. So uh, what's going on this week? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with everybody. Uh, as always, the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. If you sign up today at mtgprice.com, you can track your specs, chat on the most awesome Discord around, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I'm assuming we have the usual four segments this week, do we, buddy? We do. Uh, we're going to talk uh, the Magic Online metagame weekend review. We're going to talk about the paper movers. We're going to talk about uh, Magic Online's movers. We got some picks, and we're going to talk this week about what to do with Core 21 and Jumpstart. Uh, there's a... A lot going on that we almost had all the good conversation before we even started recording. Thankfully, you stopped us so that we can get to the good things in order. Yeah, I was I was telling you off cast because you had missed my, my little stream on Twitch the other night where I was unboxing like $6,000 worth of stuff. Humble brag. Humble brag. Humble well, brag. It's not so impressive when you consider that it was rotting there for nine months. Usually... Um, and this was kind of a big focus of the stream was that usually I bring don't leave packages sitting around or accumulations of packages that turn into bounce shipments for much longer than two or three months. And sometimes a lot faster. Like sometimes you just want to get the inventory in your hands in a couple of weeks. So you do because um, the margins are fat and the going is good. So you don't want to wait for the moment to pass. And unfortunately, not only was the start of this package accumulation anchored in late September of 2019, uh, just before Throne of Eldraine came out, as we were learning about extended art uh, and collector boosters for the first time, and showcase and showcase foils, and then leading into the Pioneer announcement, um, I made some very bad choices that last week in September, and in fact, some of the worst speculation I think I've done in the last three years, and it was mostly centered around picking up showcase foils and extended arts at prices that just turned out to be completely out of sync with where the market was headed so some of the better examples were there was like animating fairies foulmire knights and i think embrith Shieldbreaker foil showcases and i think the week that i ordered them on card market they were on pre-order and i got them for about five dollars a piece or something that like that and that seemed reasonable to me when i didn't know that showcases were the drop rate on them was 50 50 yeah, you get you get a lot of those in the collector boosters. I remember that. From the <laughs> yeah, and you get a lot of them draft. even in regular boosters. Yeah, and none of those cards really ended up being relevant in any way, shape, or form. In fact, when I I pulled them out of the package, I was like, "Why did I buy these? I, I can't even I can't even think of why <laughs> what I was thinking at the time." But clearly, I was befuddled um, by the way premium products were headed at the time. 
Sometimes I order stuff as an experimentation so I can look back on it later and learn a lesson, but this stuff felt like a stretch. So a lot of this stuff was would be considered almost a total write-off. Some of the other stuff was just way early, um, you know, picking up Gilded Geese and one of your picks from this week uh, at market rates at the time turned out to be too high too early. Uh, now, fortunately, further along in that package, things get real good because there's a strong focus uh, from December forward on judge promo foils and all sorts of other premium extended art stuff uh, when the prices had dropped out in Eldraine and later Theros that uh, turned out very well. But uh, certainly some lessons learned uh, about premium product. And I'm going to wrap some of that into a new article that I'm working on that will explore kind of the history of premium products and magic and uh, try to get a sense of where we're at today. Um, were you playing magic when foils first came out? Oh yeah, I was playing magic when magic first came out okay because um i remember my play group was very dismissive of foils at the beginning we were we were real elitist like this isn't pokemon you know yeah. why are you trying to do this to us and I, I do remember some of that talk and it seems so quaint it does in <laughs> retrospect looking back over you know hundred dollar vip boosters back over your shoulder to collector boosters and mythic editions you know, secret layers and uh, FDVs, you know, regionalized product like Japanese War of the Spark, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of this looks pretty quaint. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people said the same thing when they introduced Mythics. You know, this is this is a money grab and a, you know, foolishness. And all of it's true, <laughs> but hasn't stopped it from selling. So... You know, because one of the things that'll come up in this, you know, premium products article is that we've been tracking, and I don't have firm numbers on this yet, but it looks like the foil extended art drop rate in the collector boosters for Core 21 has been dialed higher than it was in the previous three versions. So it looks like we're, I think in Eldraine, you typically got three foil extended art, three to four kind of dependent because that slot could also just be another foil mythic uh, or borderless I believe um, but in core 21 it looks like you're getting six or seven in the collector booster boxes I can't speak which... for Theros but um, my friends and I we uh, we did the collector booster draft in Throne of Eldraine and um, it was there were three rares uh, that were either foil extended or showcase extended or showcase and or there was there was three there were three slots for the rares on that i remember that because we had some really dumb packs opened i opened six or seven in collector boosters at throne of eldraine i think and i think i did get some that had four it just okay. depended on whether the slot shifted to the fourth slot could be something else like a borderless um or just a regular mythic i think so anyway, if that is, we'll talk about that more in segment four, but there, that certainly has an impact on how we need to evaluate those cards. Mm. Uh, for now, we'll go ahead and throw ourselves into segment one here, the MTGO metagame weekend review, which sometimes is used in, in better times to give us an indication of what might be happening in paper sooner rather than later. These days, it's really mostly just about what's happening on Arena and on Magic Online. But we're looking at Pioneer and Modern again this week. I'd say both formats looking relatively healthy. Probably the most notable thing in the Pioneer Challenge from June 29th is that there was three copies of Blue, Black, Inverter 
and one to three copies of that deck seems to be the Norman Pioneer, and it's very rare that zero show up in the top eight. So I think an argument can be made that this is the top dog and that were we in paper, there would be a chance the deck could be banned out of existence if it pushed higher in the meta. Like, say, it got one more card that made it really crazy. I think you're right. And the the big problem is that you're dealing with the uh, triggered abilities, which are incredibly difficult to interact with. Like, its counters are bust because the inverter comes into play, effect happens. Thassa's Oracle comes into play, effect happens. Even if you have instant speed removal, like this is a harder combo, combo to break up than Splinter Twin. You know, Splinter Twin, if you had the instant speed interaction, you know, they needed some form of protection. They needed their spell skite or whatever. And now you've got these where, um, yes, you don't have uh, flash in, deceiver, tap your untapped land. Now everything is clear for me to play um, Splinter Twin and win. But um, I, I think it is going to be on the radar, and it may just be uh, one card away. Um, and them having a new tool. Uh, what's the uncommon out of M21 that counters an instant unless they pay three? Oh, I don't recall, but yes, that, that could be helpful. One more single blue mana spell. Yay, that's what, that's what combo decks need. So I mean, mostly, most of the decks in Pioneer get to run two to four copies of Mystical Dispute that tends to cover off a lot of their needs for counter extra counter spells. But uh, yeah, blue-black doing very well. It wasn't the first place deck, though. That went to red-white burn with Lurus the Dream Den, one of the only companions to survive in most formats, actually, um, post the update to the rules where you have to pay three mana sorcery speed just to get it into your hand. Um, and this is si the sideboard's four Chain to the Rocks, Lurus, three Searing Blood, two Light of Hope, two Rest in Peace, and three Skull Crack. So a fairly standard-looking... Uh, build alongside a roughly even split of creatures and instants with the white splash being for Boros Charm and a little bit of the sideboard action. Uh, four Chain to the Rocks being a notably efficient uh, exile effect if you're in red-white. I'm really hoping that the uh, the new Chandra's Elemental, uh, Chandra's Flame Burner, whatever it's called, the one that gets one mana less for each non-combat damage dealt, I'm really hoping we start seeing that in uh, assorted burn decks in Pioneer and Modern. I don't think we will. Um, it's a turn three. Like, you have to go Lava Spike, Lightning Bolt, then play this as a one-mana 6-6 six, six trample. And if you're already, like, throwing two one-mana spells on turn three, you're, you're doing great anyway. And it, plus, it ruins the, the Luris. So, I want it to be good. I just recognize that it probably won't be. So over in third place, we have Niv, five color Niv Mizzet with Yorion, the only other appearance of a companion in the, these two top eight lists. Um, this is a pretty fun looking deck. And I was mentioning to people in our Discord this week that Niv Mizzet foils are still in the mid teens and are probably still a buy from the last time I called them a few months back. Uh, because even though there's no real paper impetus, this was already boy, uh, had some fundamental support from the commander side of things. And once paper returns, we have every reason to believe this deck will still be around because it, through all the brokenness in the last 12 months, the Niv-Mizza deck in Pioneer and Modern has put up fairly consistent top eight appearances over and over and over again. And what's that to love? You can bring the light this thing into play and find another bring the light and you know two or three or five other cards. And in Commander, um, 
I, I know two people who built this deck and they're very like ramrod straight about they need to keep uh, what is it uh, four cards of each guild in there five cards of each guild I don't know they're, but they want to get the ten their, their their goal is to play this and draw ten cards so <laughs> you can't you can't stop people from brewing with a card with that level of potential and it, right. just a six six flyer which you know sometimes people can't answer that and they just die to boom boom. Sure. So in sixth place, we have the mono white uh, Heliod Suncrowned Walking Ballista combo deck uh, with some mid range and control elements. Uh, we all, in seventh, we have blue white spirits. Uh, it looks like they're using the new uh, Lofty Denial uh, counter target spell unless its controller pays one. If you control a creature with flying, counter that spell unless its controller pays four. So in this deck, that's basically a better mana leak for one and a blue. Manalik is too good for Pioneer. That should tell you how good this is for the format in general. And when you're, you know, first turn... Do they have any one-drop spirits besides the um, the one who gets bigger and you sack it to counter things? Spectral Sailor is oh, the yeah, flash-flying 1-1 one, one that oh. has uh, for four draw card. Yeah, that's, that's so money because you have so many good things to do on their turn. Well, because a lot of your cards have flash, mm-hmm. so you can hold up the lofty denial, and if you get to the end of their turn, you can make a call as to whether you want to keep holding it up right through to your turn, or you want to drop another creature and dare them to act then. That's the joy of flash, man. Uh, and then, of course, some of these spirits come in and mess with what they're doing anyway. Like, you can ca- bring a, a rattle chains into play end of turn if they try to kill your creature. If they don't if they don't uh, see you cast something, they might take the action to say Fatal Push one of your creatures, then you Rattle Chains and blow them out because now you've got two creatures on the board and a counter spell up and you're in real good shape. I might start playing Pioneer. They also they also run four Spell Queller, of course, so there's a lot of disruption in this aggro plan. <laughs> uh, all right, so and then the eighth place deck was probably the one I'd be most attracted to. This is a Sultai control build. <clears throat> That runs three Shark Typhoon. That was my pick from last week in Extended Earth. Uh, four Thoughtseize, four Traverse the Ovenwall, two Abrupt Decay, two Eat to Extinction, four Fatal Push, and a Heartless, Heartless Act. And then in the creature side of things, they're running an Atris Oracle of Half Truths, three Dr- Jace Friends Prodigy, two Murderous Rider, four Seder Wayfinder, one Tireless Tracker, four Uro, a Walking Ballista. And I mean, overall, this deck is full of specs, so by all means, let it be great. I'm I'm hoping I, I like a good uh, Atris deck, especially if um, you know you can make beautiful things happen. Uh, Atris piles are not quite as fun as Factor Fiction piles, but it's still a good time because you get an attacker with it too. Sure. All right. So now over to modern, uh, equally good-looking top eight: uh, Bant Planeswalker Control in first, Sultai Planeswalker Control in second, Mono Red Prowess in third. Teamer Scape Shift in fourth, Sultai Planeswalker Control again in fifth, Infect in sixth, Grixis Aggro Control in seventh, which is uh, a bit of a weird title, so we'll get to that in a second, and mm-hmm. Amulet Titan in eighth. Um, most of this we have seen before. The first place deck was two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two to Big Teferi, two uh, Small Teferi. Four Ice Fang Quaddle, two Snapcaster Mage, three Uro, two Supreme Verdict, uh, a pile of uh, counter spells, and four Arkham's Astrolab. This is a configuration of cards we've seen continue to do well over the last few months uh, in Modern. 
so no huge surprise. And the second place deck wasn't a lot different. They just had black instead of white as their third color and a smaller Planeswalker suite that's centered around an Ashiok Dream Render, 3Jace the Mind Sculptor, and a Liliana the Last Hope. Mono Red Pro S was pretty predictable. Teamer Scape Shift was uh, a little bit interesting just in the sense that it was a whole pile of uh, blue-red control cards, four Scape Shift and four Uro, and that was the whole deck. So it's 23 instants, four Scape Shift and four Uro. Um, I don't recall seeing that particular configuration. Yeah, it's you got to be able to react to a wide range of stuff. So people are playing the, the maximum number of reactive cards possible. And Euro, you know, if you just, if you're patient with your Euro until, you know, turn five or turn six, and you never put your mana down, he'll get you back in the game. Worth noting for people that picked up on our uh, spec call on Ketria Triome Showcase non-foils uh, several weeks back, that this deck is indeed running four copies of uh, a Triome in Modern. So uh, that's why we picked Ketria, that we felt that teamer decks were the most likely to run this in competitive formats. And I believe that if Triomes can show up in Modern, they can certainly show up in Pioneer. The fact that you can't search them up with fetch lands definitely makes them less attractive, but it's still a tricolor land. So... I will not be at all surprised if one of the other ones becomes a thing in Pioneer at some point. It's just waiting for the right time uh, and the right home. you know. And we will, I mean, it seems likely that at some point we'll get the other uh, Triland Triome cycle, right? Like they, they don't yeah. Oh, yeah. leave these cycles unfinished. So it's entirely possible that we're getting the second half of the Battle Bond lands in Commander Legends. That seems like a, a good place for them to be. There's still an out. There's still an outsider's chance that the fetch lands are in there, but I don't think that's where we're headed. It seemed like the rumor mill believed that those were going to be box topper related or some kind of premium incentive card related for Zen Three. Um, so sixth place in the modern challenge was a fairly standard looking Infect deck, as we mentioned, and then this deck in seventh, boy, woo. I don't know what you call this thing. I've got it down as Grixis Aggro Control because it's a pile of aggro creatures and then it's just surrounded by a pot 28 control cards by my reckoning. The creatures are Brazen Borrower, 4 Delver of Secrets, 3 Snapcaster Mage, 4 Thieves Guild Enforcer. That's probably a reader for most people that aren't up to speed on M21 yet. That's a 1-1 Flash Black creature for 1 Black. When Thieves Guild Enforcer or another rogue enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent mills two cards. Got the mills keyword in there. As long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, Thieves Guild Enforcer gets plus two, plus one, and has Death Touch. So it's like a black Delver of Secrets in a way. And then three Vantress Gargoyle out of Throne of Eldraine. This is the 5-4 flyer for one and a blue that can't attack unless defending player has seven or more cards in their graveyard and can't block unless you have four more cards in hand. So the Thieves Guild Enforcer helps your opponent get to seven faster so that you can start attacking with this 5-4 flyer for two. <laughs> well, the deck is also based around um, the Drown in the Lock and Thought Scour combination, which normally you're Thought Scouring yourself, but this deck, you know, when you can Drown in the Lock to kill target creature basically or counter target spell once you get them to like five cards in their yard drown in the lock is a two mana counter yeah and... because drown in the lock for people that don't recall 
Blue Black Instant Choose One, counter target spell with converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its controller's graveyard. So again, helping that them get up to uh, a higher graveyard count is key. And then destroy target creature with a converted mana cost less than or equal to the number of cards in its, in its controller's graveyard. Um, I guess the only thing that's interesting to note about this deck is because you're relying on them to have a stocked yard, if they're relying on having a stocked yard, you are at a disadvantage because there's nothing in the sideboard here to do with, deal with that because it invalidates your whole game plan. The only thing they run for tactical removal of cards in the graveyard is three surgical extraction because that's the only one that makes sense they use any of the ones that remove the whole graveyard doesn't really get them anywhere yeah but um you're planning on like if if they hit up against a um into the i had no i couldn't remember what into the story was like good job you're running a four mana instant to draw four um you know they're not planning on hitting any heavy duty dredge deck they're planning on just countering things snap back the drown in the lock to you know have this split card terminate slash counter spell so they're they're okay with the occasional graveyard deck getting that bump because once you if they're doing the work for you then they're going to mill themselves because if they're milling themselves then drown in the lock becomes that much better it gets sure. online that much sooner sure sure yeah, so sorceries in this deck, three Inquisition of Kozilek, four Serum Visions and a Thought Seize, and then the four Drown in the Lock, one Force of Negation, one Into the Story, two Coligan's Command, four Lightning Bolt, two Mana Leak, one Spell Pierce, one Spell Snare, and four Thought Scour. I need to run this one by uh, Ryan Overturf and see what he thinks. It's spicy, man. I love it. Uh, and then the eighth place deck was more of a... You know, there's been a lot of variations on Amulet Titan. This one jumps out at me because it's running four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, which seems to have been become standard. They've also got a Clothis God of Destiny in here, uh, both of which have been called out as potential specs. They also run a Ketria Trium, and I guess that's pretty much it. So yeah. Modern and Pioneer look pretty healthy to me. Looks good. It's hard to argue with uh, something this sweet. Knife Place being the ridiculous elemental combinations is also a pretty happy thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's that is a pretty sexy elementals deck in ninth. All right, so over in paper top movers of the week, mostly foils. There's a lot of movement going on and a lot of arbitrage, but a lot of it's cross border, so it's not showing up on these lists. Um, because some of the stuff has already gotten high in North America, but is cheap elsewhere. Uh, and as a result, we'll have to try to talk about some of that a little further in the episode. So we've got Out of Modern Horizons, Sling Gang Lieutenant. Uh, foils going from 350 to 450. That's only like 29%, and you don't, <laughs> don't get excited about going from 350 to 450 in my books. But worth noting that the Conspicuous Snoop combo continues to move cardboard, and... Modern Horizon foils can drain out under reasonable pressure. So I will not be surprised if Sling Gang Lieutenant shows up on this list in a week or two at $10 plus, as opposed to four fifty. I don't know about 10 but I'd be with you at like 7 It isn't uncommon. Yep. But the foil drop rate in Modern Horizons is classic drop rate, not 50% push, and there's not a foil in every pack, so... That certainly makes a difference. And the fact that the base cost on the boxes was 200 plus also contributes to higher costs, even on foil and commons. Let me just see how many listings are left. Well, I mean, let me put it to you this way. There are six foil near mint listings left on TCG Player, and they are basically 
two fifty with four dollars shipping, three dollars with four dollars shipping, eight, nine, ten, and then somebody's got Pack Fresh Magic, big big seller on TCG Player, has eighteen copies posted at ten. So I think we're headed for ten very shortly here. All right, all right, you win this round. Uh, next up, we have um, <clears throat> Sky Cloud Egg out of Odyssey. The foils have somehow gone from $184 to $250 and uh, I I don't fucking means know. little to nothing yes uh, Santa's real um, yeah we, we talked about one of the other eggs last week I think it was maybe it was the week before let me see yeah, Mossfire egg foils from Odyssey went a dollar to twenty dollars, supposedly up nineteen hundred percent. And I'm much more of a believer of these reselling at twenty than I am at anything north of there. There's no good reason to be chasing these other than that they are old foil rares. They do look lovely, and I do happen to have a set of them lying around from the super collection. So I've sleeved them, double sleeved them, and put them in cases now. They were were sitting around in the bulk foils box. And I am going to post a set for sale and see if it moves. I have n- I'm have. just going to put some medium ridiculous number and then have the offers on eBay be put like anything above 80, I guess, for the set. And we'll see <laughs> what all kind right. of offers get tossed at me, if any at all. Uh, definitely not the kind of thing you want to be chasing. This next one's pretty interesting because I could have sworn I made I picked this one week in early 2019, but I couldn't find it. So I think what happened was I flagged it and then chickened out and picked something else and just told Travis about it. The Lunar New Year treasure token that was a China-only exclusive for Chinese New Year, I think was selling overseas somewhere in around 35 to 40 at one point. And supposedly this week is up to 90 from 60, so 40% plus gains. But from the original point where you could have got in, almost a triple. And when we were looking at this, the the premise was, A, China and Korea are kind of like black boxes in the magic community. You hardly ever hear anything out of those countries. I can't name a store in those countries, despite being able to do so for most countries. Um there, you know, there are sellers from those countries that sell mostly on eBay, um, but very infrequently anywhere else. And Chinese cards don't seem to be in any demand anywhere outside of China. So it occurred to me that if this was the hardest to find treasure token, it was probably going to get up there. And here we have it pushing a hundred bucks. So you can have one Chinese New Year treasure token or a booster box. I mean, I'm pretty sure I would take the token over a random booster box. I mean, depends on what booster box it is. But, you know, if I can have something with this level, uh, do you remember what the what the distribution was? on? Was it like one per store in China? What? I'm gonna guess they were relative, like they were buy a box promos in in China. So there's probably thousands of them out there, but maybe not tens of thousands because I don't know how many WPN stores actually exist in China. I would guess that 
relative to the size of the country, it's actually pretty low. Um, relative to their population, the game is much less popular than it is in other places. Um, so not that many. And more to the point, unless you speak Mandarin or Cantonese and you're on the relevant websites and apps out of China, which these days is not a great idea anyway, um, <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of visibility on that inventory. So whatever is on TCG Player, eBay, and Magic Card Market is pretty much where you're at. And that is draining out in a hurry. Well, it, I mean, it's we're, we're seeing the effect of... Um... I mean, we'll talk a little bit about Jumpstart and uh, Basic Lands in a minute. Like, if you can have the Chase version of something, then you got something real hot on your hands. And I, um, I'm i no longer flinching at stuff like people wanting to spend 100 bucks on a treasure token. You know, that's I, I'm, I'm past that with where we are in Magic and Collectibles at this point. The, whole, the thing is, there are virtually none of these left. Right. And they're never going to get resupplied. So I can't even think of another token that's broken 100 bucks. Can you? Ooh. I want to say the original Dark Depths token, um, like you could only get it for something or other. I think it was the Cold Snap pre-release giveaway or something like that. I'd have to double check. I think that one was 20-something at one point, and that was the highest price token I could think of. The player rewards tokens are sometimes high up there. Like, uh, the unglued ones are pretty sweet, but not nothing near 100 bucks. No. I'm just going to search token on TCG player and sub-search Magic the Gathering and... There's nothing above it. Closest thing is there's a monk token from the League promos for Monastery Mentor that goes for about 30 bucks. The spirit token from Plane Shift is 28. The spirit token from Magic Play Rewards Champions is 25. Zombie Odyssey token, 21. Sliver token from Legions, 20. And the elephant token from Invasion, 20. And that's the only stuff that's even close. I think I have one of those slivers someplace. I gotta check. Yeah, and there's only two listings for the treasure token on TCG Player, and there's two listings on Card Market. These might be a buy at any price. I I could see these ending ending up being a, a totally weird niche collector piece that is worth posted at three, four, or five hundred dollars and changes hands like once a year. I I would really like some numbers on this, but I I, I can't argue with the if the distribution model was only wpn stores in china then yeah not a lot went into circulation and you know and not a lot of people outside of i mean there aren't that many folks who are willing to drop that money on a token just to have the the rare collectible have you checked on your dad lately is he on is he either of those buyers i have a feeling that the reason i think it was i don't think it was january february i think it was no i think it was late february 2019 indeed because i think i was at gp cleveland or magic fest cleveland with my dad and i think that there was a chinese vendor there with a stack of these and something tells me they wanted 40 us a piece and i had seen them overseas at like closer to 28 and i balked and i don't think i bought any of them 
Uh, I think I'm going to regret that. <laughs> oh, it's all right. You've got plenty of other things to regret. Don't don't stress that too hard about that. But I'll tell you, if a Magic Fast returns and you see one of the big Chinese vendors there, that would definitely be worth checking out because they could easily have upgraded, you know, priced them at 300 bucks by that point, but they could easily just have them sitting in their $20 binder or something. It's the beauty of Magic Fest. Oh, how we miss the... I do. I miss, I, I, binder diving. I, I don't care about binder diving. I just want to cube draft with random people again. <laughs> you and your giant flag of cubing. It's yeah. a sign, sir, but you do have to run up the flag. I'm working on the next version of the sign for, you know... God knows when we get to gather in person again. Yeah, fair. I'll certainly put some effort in. Like, once that is safe to do, you know, I'll, I'll meet you somewhere and we'll play. The It will have been quite a time, quite a long time by then. Really got to get, like, me, you, Jason, and Travis in one place at one time. I, Everybody with kids now. So tough, true. but certainly tough. worth trying. Not easy to do. Um, all right, so moving right along here. Uh, what was next? Next up is foil versions of Zakama, the Primal Calamity, uh, the Rivals of Ixalan, the nine mana do it all um, Naya dinosaur. Uh, foils have gone from 48 to about 76. Uh, this is just because we get a couple new dinosaurs per set now, and none of them are truly broken in M21, I think. Uh, the Elgar Garganon is a beast, right? It's not a dinosaur, is it? Let me look. No, it's a beast. No, that's Greater Dargonon. Elder Gargaroth, excuse me. That is a beast. Okay, good. I remembered it correctly. Uh, anyhow, um, you know, it was a foil from the small set, and going from 50 to 75 makes sense to me. There can't be that many out there that people didn't immediately say, I want to build the dinosaur deck. And uh, Godspeed, because that deck's awesome. Yeah. Not tremendously surprised to see one of the more exciting-looking mythics from uh, a relatively shallow set uh, posting up solid numbers. Let's see what's next on our list. We've got... Blood Chief Ascension Foils have been pumping... have up pumped up and down on the indexes a few times lately and i think it's just you know people posting some cheap copies they get swallowed up pushes back up into the 30 40 range and then people post some more cheap copies but eventually that inventory is going to run dry um, and these are going to post up in the 40 to 50 range uh, didn't show up in jumpstart as a foil didn't show up in core 21 so it's pretty safe for a while here i'd uh, be surprised to see this in zendikar uh, 3 and or commander legends at some point it's going to catch a reprint but i don't no reason to believe it's going to be soon it's in 6400 edh rec decks we do have veto on the scene now uh reinforcing demand for this and there's all sorts of uh life drain uh effects in commander and ways to build around that um so uh solid card foils are in in low supply it's going to keep pumping do you not want to talk about teferi i mean it's, he's on the list oh, he, he's a time traveler, so I think he slid down the list on, of his own volition. Okay. Uh, I'm with you on Blood Chief Ascension. Awesome card. Uh, will get reprinted. I would be selling my foils that weren't in decks. Um, I would also be selling Teferi if I'd managed to open any, too. Uh, right now, Teferi has uh, gone up on our list from about 35 to about 60. Yes, he is the, the hotness when it comes to the new set but man i 
I can't imagine a Core Twenty One Mythic holding sixty dollars. I mean, I'd be I'd be selling like mad. It's tricky. We need some more indicators as to the total print run for Core Twenty One because there's they put gave us nine versions of Teferi. It's now, true. <laughs> so the, there are Teferis around, um, but it's great, great, great commander card. <laughs> like, really strong. The more players you're playing with, the better this card gets. So whether or not it has a hit, uh, future in Pioneer and Modern, it's it's got casual cube commander demand up the yin-yang. I'm not, I haven't bought a single copy of this yet. I agree that I would probably sell if I popped any, especially with where this price curve is headed. Like, There aren't even that many results for the regular Teferi on TCG. Like, It's been heavily purchased. And pe- stores are not cracking boxes at the same level these days during COVID because they don't have as many outs uh, in a lot of cases. So, you know... <laughs> There's not that many listings for the basic Teferi, even on TCG Player, which is is pretty crazy. I'm looking at uh, them right now. Heading into opening weekend. Between promo pack, pre-release, and original, not counting, you know, uh, specific versions of Teferi, uh, that whole, like, we've got four versions with slightly different rings of art is just a nightmare for collectors and stores. Uh, we're looking at a total of uh, 47 listings. So there is there is not a lot out there, but this is all the result of people who, you know, they're upgrading their commander decks. They're getting ready for when we can play in person again. And you're right, this is a busted-ass commander card. I just, I, I cannot, it, I'd be selling. Uh, there's no way. Well, especially because we're not at release weekend yet, but like by the time a lot of people hear this, we'll be on the Friday, we'll be on the Friday and that will be release weekend. And then, you know, you would normally expect that release weekend is when you're going to see some solid deals. So, you know, the price dips low enough on Teferi this weekend. I don't know what my my entry point is. I mean, ideally it's $15, but it may not get below 30. And, you know, it could be very stubborn in the current climate. It's hard to say. Um so I'm going I'm to keep an eye on it, and I'm going to look to see where it's at two to four weeks from now. But I'm more than happy to, you know, end up in a situation where the majority of my action on Fairy Master of Time is that I opened some in collector boosters that I ordered. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, your best price is generally going to be in about three months when um, Zendikar 3 comes out, and, you know, we've opened all the teferi we can open uh i mean normally you would call peak supply two to three months out but lately like with ikoria it seemed like peak supply was two to four weeks out just because of the complete lack of draft follow-on i i agree that lack of stores cracking boxes to service local demand yeah but if there's a if there's a 60 dollar mythic uh, stores, I mean, the, the distributor price is something like that. Oh, excuse me, my uh, sound is all the way up on my phone. Um, if the there's a $60 Mythic lurking in boxes, uh, that's just about distributor price, right? Distributor price is something like 50 or 70 or something? No, it's, it's close to, it's like 70 something for a lot of stores. Um, 
Now, I follow your... I mean, this logic is classic. The idea that stores will... If EV on a box gets too high for a standard legal set, stores will open product until it drives it back down. Problem here is stores can't... A lot of stores aren't in a position where they can afford to order all that much inventory because they don't have the cash flow to back that play. So the bigger, the biggest stores and the ones with the strongest online operations, that's certainly still true. Like they're moving product. Um, no major, no major vendor has gone down yet due to COVID. Um, but I, I do wonder whether a, the core 21 print run, uh, was determined post COVID and could be lower than it normally would have been when in a situation where, Typically, we already expect the summer set to be the lowest print run of the year. And this is a very popular card. And then you have a bunch of the potential vendor actors in the marketplace not purchasing as much product or not being as motivated to crack extra. It's tricky. There's a lot of, fa- there's a lot of factors flowing here. And I won't be surprised to see this drop to 20 or push to 80, <laughs> depending on how things play out. I could see like one of the versions cra- uh, creeping up higher if it turns out that their collation was off or something. Um, I have a hard time imagining this gets too high otherwise. He just he's really good at at cycling through your deck quickly. You know, looking for your combo piece in your um, uh, what's the most annoying blue general I can think of? Probably the Ma- Mage of Zalfir would be that one we're just like no you don't get to do anything and i can play him at flash speed um yeah yeah i i see where you're going with that i can i can dig it i'm also curious to see what happens to borderless foils because the borderless foils only come in the one version and they're the lowest price on any of those currently on tcg player is 130 that's real high if i had cracked one of these those this this week i would certainly have tried to sell I mean, what else is going to be the headliner? There's been one for each set that's been around $100. I mean, 130 is a little high, but I would not be surprised if Teferi's price uh, and borderless uh, foil was around $100 in a couple of months. Oko and Throne of Eldraine, Uro and, Thr- and uh, Theros. I would, I would add uh, uh, Foil Fabled Passage in Throne of Eldraine, even though we just got the reprint. Like, that was a... That was a hot one too, and we mm, also have only, now we the have only version of that. Too. The only yeah, but the only versions of those two cards that pushed a hundred were the extended arts. The borderless is in regular packs. Okay, okay. It's a lot more of them. I see what you're saying, man. Mm-hmm. I need much more spreadsheets to keep track of what <laughs> uh, what versions are in what packs. Yeah. So in the case of Core Twenty One to review, we have reprints that were designated showcase so that includes cultivate grim tutor etc uh solemn simulacrum uh azusa yeah azusa um and then you have the borderless planeswalkers which are in regular packs all the versions of teferi appear in regular packs uh and then anything that wasn't one of those two things and is still a rare or a mythic will have an extended art in the collector boosters but the collector boosters also have Boku to slots where you can get this all the goodies from the regular pack. So they're pretty juiced. Um, the collector booster boxes, if they end up being a relatively short print run, they are going to be worth 300 bucks before a year from now. 
because they have access to things like foil showcase, grim tutors, and the bunch of fairies, and all sorts of extended art goodies, cultivates, solemn simulacrums, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And from what I'm hearing, there are, you know, there are extra extended art foils as well. So we'll see. We, we've got a group buy coming through that I think we acquired at 186 plus shipping uh, recently, something like that. Um, so those should be a pretty good deal. Uh, moving right through the rest of this list here, reverberate foils out of M11 going from 9 to 17, $8 gain, 89% or so. That's on the back of Calamax. Uh, Riverbraid is also just a popular EDH card in general with 11,000 entries on EDH Rec. The Magic Player Rewards uh, textless full art version of Rampant Growth went from 13 to 30. I'm pretty sure Travis called this a while back. I can't remember what episode, but less than a year ago. Um, these NPR, cool NPR cards that are popular in EDH have been out of print forever, and it was just a matter of time before they dried up. Yeah, I can, uh, if somebody wanted to tell me that their uh, spec plan was just to stack, stock up on all the cheap uh, and full art cards, I would I would be in favor of that. Um, Sign in Blood, when it got reprinted, all of a sudden that was a $10 uh, play rewards card, and they're all just awesome. And it's it hurts so much that these are things Wizards could still be doing, except they don't want to pay postage. Well, I, I, I've mouthed off many times about how <clears throat> a better expanded system of player rewards that was tied into tracking players' activity at the LGS level would be a major, major win for Wizards. But software is not really their strong suit, so mm. I'm not holding my breath. Um, you mentioned Sign and Blood. That one's actually on the move, too. I think it was up 30% or something. Just barely didn't make the list. Uh, we've also got Gisela, the Broken Blade foils up from 22 to 54 or so, 5200 EDH rec entries. This is the one that can uh, combine with uh, another angel to turn into a two-card monstrosity. I forget who, what the name of that monstrosity is, but I've got one in foil Russian. So, Brazella, foil uh, Voice of Nightmares. Something like that. Well, that's what it is. Uh, you mentioned in the sheet that FTV transform versions, which I believe use the same art, um, are available under 30 bucks still. So if you need a copy, maybe that's your route. But they are starting to drain out as well. And this is one of those cards that <clears throat> I don't see them reprinting anytime soon. I would have said that, but um, Eldritch Moon and FTV transform were within like... No, wait, FTV transform was just a couple of years ago, and Eldritch Moon was a while ago. But... Um... This is like the most iconic of the meld cards, and yep. I would I would not be surprised to see have it make another appearance, but not in foil. Um, I think FTV Transform is the the last time you'll get it. So if you have been thinking about this, um, I was thinking about picking up a stack of uh, the other angel that you need to go with it, the um, the Bruna uh, voice uh, uh, broken voice or whatever. I can't remember her name now. The, fall, the Fading Light, Bruna the Fading Light. Um, you should probably move on that too before it hits something like that. Now, Gisela was mythic. Bruna was just a rare. There is a difference there. But, uh, you know, you are talking Eldritch Moon, which was a small set anyway. And FTB Transform kind of helps cover those bases some. Given their current policies on premiums and reprints and so forth, I could see this showing up as a secret layer card at some point. They could have a set where they bring back Meld, and these could be box toppers. 
of some sort. They could show up in collector boosters or something. That kind of thing. I, do, I really don't see it being uh, a stand, you know, an include in a standard set. Oh, no, uh, absolutely. It's very not. unlikely. So yeah. premium set plus, um, and all of that is a pretty good place to be. Now we've got Stroke of Genius non-foils out of Urza's Saga, one of the only non-foils on the list this week, going from $3 so to nearly 9 so 160%. It's in 7,600 EDH rec decks, no reprint on this since 2015, and it's in 67% of Zaxara decks, which is almost certainly the key flagging factor. Yeah, draw X spell, draw a bunch of cards. Uh, it's a winner. You've got um, other choices, but uh, the other one, Mind Spring, is not an instant. And this being an instant and target player drawing, you know, so now you have something to do with all the infinite mana you made from Free the Real and Zexara, and you just, like, here, target player loses. Yeah. Change, changeling Outcast out of Modern Horizons. Foils going from 2 to 550. No big deal. Hard to make some money there in real terms. But it's already in, like, 3,800 EDH rec decks. And if anything, this card is a poster child for why I sleeved all of my foils out of Modern Horizons, and especially okay. Russian ones, because there's a lot of bulk <laughs> stuff that was really cheap, when there were so many good cards in the set that most of it had to go cheap, that as it dries up over time, these foils are going to be very hard to find and in significant demand because there's a lot of playable cards in that set, and it goes real deep. So even a foil common like this can get up there. You know, uh, Modern Horizons, uh, even with the introduction of Pioneer, uh, was a set that just should have exploded and uh we're we keep seeing like drips and drabbles of that and at some point it's all gonna blow way the hell up so um make sure you got your stuff organized for when it does well the thing about modern horizons is that it did blow up very quickly and prices were sky high for two months and then as the hogak debacle unraveled and they banned it out of existence and then moved on into Pioneer being announced. The bot, the floor fell out on Modern Horizons cards because so many of them, so many of them were not legal in Pioneer, and it felt like people stopped buying Modern staples almost entirely for a few months. And it's hard to say where we where we would be today, but I suspect that we would be seeing Pioneer doing fine and Modern doing fine, and a lot of this stuff would be taking off even faster if there was paper magic going on. I'm with you on that. I think that uh, there's room for both Modern and Pioneer to be kicking ass and uh, doing a lot of fun. You know, I was I was a voice that was saying Pioneer was going to basically push Modern out of relevance. And I still believe that on a long-term basis that is kind of inevitable. Just on the basis that the card pools, because of how the power curve is being approached and how many powerful cards are being printed and how many of them end up being dominant in pioneer or modern and how quickly that occurs uh, post-release eventually the card pools are going to be so similar in terms of the top 100 playables in those formats that the gap between them is going to be very small indeed and there's always going to be a few decks like your tron decks and whatever that will never exist in pioneer but i suspect you're going to start getting to a position where top eights look real similar say three four years out fair enough fair enough what's the big winner this week tell us all about this bit of silliness 
it's almost inevitable that this ends up being something silly like a seventh edition foil that nobody cares about in this case dingus egg which is a rare foil i'm presuming out of seventh edition 18 to 100 dollars. that just means there's no copies listed under 100 dollars. doesn't mean anybody's actually paid that yet but i will say this if you randomly have seventh edition foils sitting around don't sell those just sit on those the the appreciate the roi on seventh edition foils seems to be just fine <laughs> and you can probably just keep those put away for a year two years three years four years and you know if magic dies you're not gonna have anyone to sell them to anyway uh and if magic dies it probably means we're all in much bigger trouble than worrying about our magic collections so also very true i wouldn't sweat that too much i would seventh edition is worth sitting on it may as well be reserve list All right, so moving right along to a quick overview of some Magic Online movers. Um, we've got Dryad of the Elysian Grove out of Theris going from a dollar to a dollar twenty-seven, just twenty-six cents. Doesn't sound like anything you can make money on, but in Magic Online, the friction of buying and selling cards is much lower than it is in paper. You don't have to package an envelope, pay for a stamp, and let it get caught at the border for four weeks like I am. So going up 25% in a week is actually a real solid place to be because you can do that. If you can do that, you know, two out of the four weeks of every month, you're going to be in a real good position. Steam vents out of Guilds of Ravnica, $1.77 to $2.28, up 51 cents, or another 30%er. Veil of Summer out of M20 from $1 to $1.33, just over 30% as well. Rien, Angel of Rebirth out of M20, uh, $0.72 dollars to 0.95 i guess not dollars ticks i should be saying 0.23 uh ticks gain another 32 percent castle ventress out of eldrain up uh 17 cents from 0.45 to 0.62 i would guess this ends up being a dollar 50 card down the road it's just too good in both constructed and commander and uh could, could still be a buy at this price to be honest on a longer term basis the, the only problem with magic online is Wizards is pretty heavily steering people towards Arena. So, you know, we keep calling for the death of Magic Online, but given how things slow, slowly things are developing in the digital game plan for Wizards, it could be a year and a half, two years, three years before Magic Online really starts to collapse in on itself. You definitely don't want to be hanging around with 3,000 tickets at that point. So don't be afraid to be selling along the way if you're in on the action. But I can tell you that there, there is a ton going on and a lot of money to be made. Um, Stormwing Entity finishes up the list. Uh, uh, M21 card from $1.09 to $1.50. That's on the back of the blue-red prowess deck in uh, Modern. But I would actually get out on this card around here. I saw pros talking about it, and they seemed to think that it wasn't performing uh, as well as they wanted, and it might fall out of the deck. Now... The much more exciting and impressive action was in the shorting on Magic Online this week. Oh boy. Bonder's Ornament uh, was a Commander 2020 card, I believe. That sounds right. And it's a big deal in Popper. And when it was first released, because they don't actually sell the Commander decks on Magic Online, it was only available in Treasure Chests. And it was set at some obscenely low rate, like a drop rate of 6 or whatever which is a fairly standard rate. And because all the popper players needed this card in quantity, it rocket shipped up into the 40 tickets plus range. And this is a card that is completely off the radar of almost everybody else who's not playing popper on Magic Online. And it's certainly not $40 plus in paper. 
but then they announced they were going to crank the drop rate on this thing to 100, which is the highest drop rate I have ever seen on Magic Online. And nobody else I talked to could remember a higher one. So this thing became an incredible short position where you could be renting the card, you sell it right away over 40 ticks, and then you just watch the bottom drop out on this card. And I think it's down to five or six tickets tonight or something because it's showing up in the promo pack, prize packs as well, all of a sudden. I think GoBots announced while we were prepping the cast. So you're talking about every copy that you borrowed from somebody you sold for 45 and you get to buy it back at five or six ticks, maybe even lower by the time this cast is public, and trade them back to the trader. So you're up $40 on every copy. Just ridiculous returns. And similar stories, not quite as impressive with things like Fabled Passage this week, uh, dropped, went from $5, $5.5 or so to under 3 Seasoned Pyromancer dropped from mid-40s to mid-30s. Uh, Teferi Master of Time was up to 50 ticks early on and has dropped down to 27 ticks and uh, will continue to drop through the weekend as drafting continues, would be my guess. Just incredible, incredible action on the shorting side. There's a lot of money to be made from that, and uh, it's something that you have to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, agile on. So, yeah, you gotta be quick. You gotta be quick on the trigger because if you're not sitting in our Discord, uh, in our Magic on online uh, channel, or somewhere similar with other people that are paying attention to what's going on, and you don't have the you don't have the notifications turned on for your phone, you're gonna miss opportunities left and right. Because uh, Magic Online moves real fast, minutes, not hours, not days, not months. But if you can afford the the attention. To detail, uh, you can certainly profit. All right, so we're moving along here to the uh, cards to watch for the week, the cards that we think will see some gains over the next usually about 12 months or so. <clears throat> My first pick here was a hot topic in our Discord today because we launched a little group buy uh, with some inventory uh, we found in Europe from one of the major vendors we work with. Uh, the Liliana Dreadhorde General... Uh, anime art version, otherwise known as the Amano, named uh, uh, in reference to the Final Fantasy artist of great renown that uh, provided the art for this card, is up to 80, 90 bucks or so on TCG Player, and was still, as of this afternoon, available as low as 50 to 60 in Europe. I don't see this card dropping again. The Set is out of print. There was a pile of boxes that appeared in Europe over the last couple of weeks, and we bought a whole bunch of them for the members. Uh, but that doesn't represent all that much inventory overall. I really don't see Wizards having any reason to reprint these promos anytime soon. Neither the anime versions nor the stained glass that have been coming out with the secret layers. I would expect that once the faucet shuts off on both of those, these are going to just be rocket ships on a three to five year horizon. And <clears throat> the Liliana is the is the piece de resistance, as it was. And the other thing to keep in mind is that a year ago, a little more than a year ago, in May, I snapped off a $450 foil Amano from uh, Ed, uh, 
of moose loot and flipped it to a guy in France for like 650 or 700, something like that within a week. I was pretty proud of myself, gave myself a little pat on the back, put it in my spreadsheets and moved on. Did not see a 10 times multiplier coming. When it got up to $1,000 last summer, people were like, oh, that's nonsense. As soon as Japanese wore the spark boxes, like get released in the US and wave two, it's all going to crash. And it did get down lower. I think we saw copies as low as seven or $800 again, but never really got much lower than that. Um, and I picked up a foil pre-release version of the card as a buy list exit from Card Kingdom, I think in January at a $1,000 valuation or a $900 valuation because I could already see that the inventory levels were getting real low. And I figured at minimum, this is going to hold, hold steady. And instead, what happened was we've over on Harayuya, the Star City Games of Japan, they've now got the card, the pack foil version, posted at 4,000 US. A little closer to 3,800, but you get my drift. Which makes it more expensive than, you know, anything but gr- any, any Power 9 from Unlimited that's not graded and not a Lotus. I mean, that's crazy. And it's by far the most expensive card in the modern era. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was another... Uh, I remember doing this research, and uh, there was nothing even close like uh, being able to crack open the Foil Amano. I mean, you're, that is the chase card as it represents, you know, not necess- it's not that Liliana is a great card. Uh, she's pretty sweet in commander but she's strong but you're talking about like the confluence of the artist and the nostalgia and the rarity and the collectors and it it's uh i i remember uh, a while ago travis was like was talking about foil cradles and like when does this get to five thousand dollars it seems like a much safer bet that this will hit 5k before foil cradles do I mean, that's incredible, right? That Judge Foil Gaia's Cradle is cheaper than, in theory, a Foil Amano. I don't know how many Haru is actually sold at that price point and whether they tend to negotiate down. You know, a card at that valuation, you can contact somebody and try to work out a deal. But the bottom line is that there's very few copies posted left. I think there's there was three listings this afternoon on Card Market in Europe. I bought one of them, had $100 shipping on it, works out to about $13.50 US or something all in by the time it's going to get to me. And I bought that with confidence, having sold the card at 700 or so a year ago. Because even if it's not 4000 it can probably be sold in Japan at 3000 And that could just pay for a trip to Japan. Like I could just, once COVID's over, I could fly to Japan, vaccine in my system, drop my Amanos and probably pay for the whole trip. <laughs> right. So that seems fine to me. Two listings left after I bought that one in Europe. One, I think TCG player has less than five listings, if I'm not mistaken. And they're all close to 2000 US. eBay is pretty similar. 
thing is, there are two other sources of foil monos. There's the pre-release version that I have, and then the other place you can find these, and these are pack foil versions, there's no, no difference, they don't have the Planeswalker symbol on them, is the Premium Core 20 promo packs. So these are the packs that during the late summer season at your LGS, they were red packs, they say Premium Promo Pack on them. There's another one that just says Promo Pack. Promo packs have non-foils, premium promo packs have foils, if I recall this correctly. Mm -hmm. And one out of every four of those packs has a chance at an alt art walker. Now, you'd probably have to have a large volume of those packs to try to, to have a, even a sh decent statistical chance at an Amano. But those packs are getting very scarce as well, and they go for about 40 or 50 on eBay. Those might not be a terrible buy. Man. And I saw them in Europe even cheaper, close to $20 a piece. And I'm pretty sure when I'm done tonight, I'm going to snap off all of them. From I think one vendor had 14 of them at 20 bucks a piece. Because even if I don't crack them, they're just going to be like, the fact that these are packs you could get in a mono in will eventually circulate around the community. And I could see those packs hitting $150, $200 down the road. Because if this thing pushes five grand and stays there, oh boy. I <laughs> I was about to give you a lot of shit for advocating the purchasing of a four-card booster pack where you have like a one in 300 chance of getting the... Uh, I don't remember. It's not 300. It's like 150 cards are on that, that curated list where you have a chance at it. And then you have like some subset of it being the the Japanese one, but man, yep. you're what you're saying it's the same logic that has given us like eighty dollar packs of alliances, is that if there is one chase card, you know, alliance is a bad example. It was like a, an uncommon. Well, I'll say two or three hundred dollar buy-ins for a single slot in the beta or alpha openings that have been going on on Twitch for years now. Right, things like that. Um, you're you're advocating for uh, the packs that are going to be expensive based on this chase card. Now, the other, you know, you you are talking about your consolation prizes are stuff like the um, other uh, Japanese alternates, which are still... nickel nickel bolas. You've got Teferi. You've got Ashiok, um, Nissa. I'd, Several other. I'd want to look at the rest of the that, list, but I if you're buying them at at twenty, I can I can see the logic there in in the hold. It's kind of a specialized hold because you are banking on a significant amount of time and this rising to even greater levels that it's currently at. But I mean the 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 pedigrees there. Uh, I am completely with you on having the um, getting your non foil copies right now if you even kind of want one get one uh i traded for one when it was for at like 90 dollars uh around the time of war of the spark because everybody in my store was just create just couldn't wait to pay uh ten dollars and open one of these packs um and this guy immediately like i just trade him store credit and he went and bought uh nine more packs it was truly truly impressive um so I, I posted a crazy stat to our discord today and that was that the you 
the chance of a foil Amano in a War of the Spark booster box, and those booster boxes are going for about 140 in the U.S., but we just picked them up for less than 100 um, by the case for the Pro Trader members last week, and that was a very popular group buy because even though these only show up in one in 180 uh, boxes, it's still under at $4,000 valuation. It still adds $22 in value to every box. <laughs> That's insane. That's uh... absolutely insane. That's that's why everybody. That's why the um, the inventions and the uh, the invocations uh, meant we had the cheapest standard ever. Was the you know you had that lottery to play and Godspeed. I can't wait to hear from our pro traders uh, who got in on the buy and who wanted to flip the boxes and who wanted to just open them up because they knew it was there and it was. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, the, the Japanese war boxes, even without the Amano, would still be solid. I mean, war is a stocked set, super stocked. And you have all the other anime planeswalkers, at least five or ten of which are pretty key cards. Um, and because they've gotten the stained glass treatment, a lot of them are going to dodge a reprint for a while. I mean, probably three mana Teferi is going to be maybe the biggest priority reprint, assuming that he doesn't get banned out of any formats. Certainly pretty annoying to play against, but probably survives in Pioneer and Modern would be my guess based on how metas look like they're shaping up. Doesn't look like he's problematic, really. So anyway, the uh, Amanos are crazy. Um, my pick is to get the non-foil version because actually is as impressive as I think the $1,300 into potentially two or 3000 is, the reliable ROI of the 50 or $60 copies from Europe or the 80 to $90 copies in the US becoming a double up because I could easily see this being a 150 to $200 card in non-foil within the year. Um, seems like where most of our listeners will want to be. And you don't have a lot of time to, to pull the trigger because we're down to just, let's see, market price is currently showing at just under $100. And for non-foil Lilianas, there are 10 listings left, and they range from 95 to 200 already. So you want to be po poking around on the interwebs trying to find any kind of cheap copy you can get. I've got my prediction here marked as like 80 to 150, but realistically, it's just a blend of average European versus North American pricing. So I'm going to put 100 to 150 here just to be more accurate to most people's local pricing. Okay. That's good of you. Uh, All right. What's your first pick? My first pick this week, um, I like Foil Prime Speaker Vanifar out of Ravnica Allegiance, uh, the, the mythic that does the birthing pod imitation. Uh, right now you can get them for around 12 You can go a little cheaper uh, depending on shipping and eBay. Um, because birthing pod is banned, uh, I think the combo potentials here in Modern and Pioneer, every creature that comes out just makes it better. Uh, it's only, it doesn't have a huge EDH uh, rec number in terms of being the commander, but it is in a bunch of decks. And uh, they've been pushing Simic so hard lately that every Simic card gets a little extra attention from me. As a bonus, whenever somebody plays this in a competitive uh, setting, they need four of. And any four of on a mythic and competitive is going to make me happy. So I think it's, it could go pretty easily from 12 to around 30 
once it uh, once it takes off. No showcases, no altar, no extended arts. Yeah, there's nothing like that. There's just this. There's the foil and there's the non-foil. It's at the old foil drop rate, and there are not that many left. Nope. Yeah, I think I think you've got this on lock. Jason has brought up a lot of times that Prime Speaker Vanifar did not turn out to be the, as huge of a hit in Commander as everybody thought, and it ended up being more about Tessa out of this set because the play sequence was so predictable with Vanifar. But that doesn't seem to have stopped the inventory from dropping out. So, yeah, I, I very much like this pick, and uh, I think you're going to be on the money. I don't know if it's going 12 to 30 or 12 to 25 or whatever, but it's a, it's a foil mythic, and they have no reason to reprint it anytime soon. So th this could get two or three years to mature and end up even higher. Yep, 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 yep. Tell me about your next one, because it's a, a card I have been playing in, um, in Standard on Arena, because it's a lot of fun. Interesting. Uh, Nethroy... Apex of Death, is that correct? Yeah. Has a Godzilla promo version called Biolante, Plant Beast Form. And the non-foil versions were box toppers available in Ikoria booster boxes. And the foil version of those box toppers are only available in two places. Collector booster boxes for uh, Ikoria, which are up in the 235 to 250 range in the U.S. right now, which is quite high for a collector booster box. Doesn't seem like there's that many out there. And Nethroi slash Biolante is getting strong amount of play. It's the most played commander out of Ikoria and was in the top 10 of the last month on EDH Racker. I think it was 11th or something. And also puts up pretty good stats in the 99. And these foil box toppers, because they were only available in collector boosters and in Japanese booster boxes, are pretty tough to come by, but were really cheap in Europe, where they have, because these cards have no competitive relevance in Constructed uh, outside of Commander. So a lot of these Ikoria cards that were very Commander-specific, and I would argue that uh, Ikoria was very much a Commander-focused set, are, have made a lot of motion and are making folks a lot of money. So I, I snapped off Ghidorah's at 30 bucks, foil Ghidorah's um, at 30 in the in the EU and sold a bunch this week for 100 bucks a piece. Um, picked up the Space Godzilla, which is the Brokos uh, Godzilla art for $12 and been selling those for 30, sold a bunch of those. And the Luminous Brood Moth variant for Godzilla foils is uh, Mothra and picking those up uh, at 22 selling them for 60 to 65 I mean, those are really big wins to be able to turn around in less than a month and so it got me poking around at the other godzilla forms and how cheap they might be in europe and then looking to see if there was opportunities in north america and turns out biolante plant beast form is well set up to take off if you get in say around 30 which is current uh, pricing in in Europe, you're probably headed for a win uh, for heading for $55, 60 $70 by the time these drain all the way out. I'm with you. I forgot about the secret layer version of this, to be honest. Um, in Commander, this is about one of the more busted things you can do. It's on a level almost with... Um, the the Marin of Clan Neltoth or Tel Noth, whichever it is, 
uh, because you get to bring back so much of your graveyard so many times. And it just takes a, a couple of usages. You get your Veteran Explorer back, you get your Solemn back, you get you know 10 power worth every time. And yes, it gets more and more expensive, but you're finding cards to make that easy to do. And it's just very synergistic and awesome. And this feels like a slam dunk to pick up the foils of the neatest version this way. Uh, I'm with you 100%. So even the the Nethroy Apex of Death showcases have a reasonable amount of inventory, but and you can get copies as low as 21 or 22. Those seem like a buy to me as well, because the inventory is not particularly deep, and I could see those going, you know, 20 to 25 up to 40 or 50 within the year pretty easily yeah um so if you can't pick up the biolantes over in europe then you might want to look at the showcase versions here in north america um my other pick this week uh i think the extended art emery's out of uh thorn of eldraine uh they're around ten dollars right now uh this is a it's underpriced it's just very underpriced this card is going to need a reprint or a ban pretty soon because it is in a lot of legacy decks a lot of modern decks a lot of pioneer decks there's a lot of different ways you can exploit what emery can do i mean level one is just get back some form of card draw artifact every turn but there's a lot of other things people are doing um if you're always going to play a four of then you always want, I want to be picking up the, the, this version, which I think is the right price. I don't want to go too crazy on the uh, foil versions. They're already pretty high, but these feel underpriced compared to everything else at around $10. I called this back in the fall. I was eight months early or whatever. Pick was solid then. It's even better now. Uh, Emery is a powerhouse card. Could easily be a thing in Pioneer and modern we've already seen decks top eight with it in both formats it's a strong edh card not the kind of thing i see them reprinting anytime soon it's still in the first year of its release what's the inventory looking like on these uh i looked that up a minute ago and right now for the extended art there are 77 copies on tcg that is all conditions not just the near mints uh near mint there's only 41 of them and 41 listings yeah yeah they ramp uh up pretty quick within a couple of pages to 15 uh, yeah the main there's a, a wall of seven at ten dollars and then you're getting into the 12 13s 15s 20s we got some we, real optimistic a... folks uh listing their non-foil like somebody's got a non-foil near mint listed at 40 dollars. i like the optimism there mr draw two I think that foils at 40, on the other hand, are probably slam dunks as well. They'll drain out even faster. There's only 16 listings left. Either or, you know, my buys might have been early, but they're still going to be right. No, that's <laughs> true. They're probably going to be they're going to be in money making position within 12 to 18 months, which is where I want to be. You know, right. faster, better, but that, it, that's a perfectly reasonable time frame. It's and also that uh, this is a must kill card when you see it in Commander. They are not going to do anything remotely fair with this. Yeah, and it's. And the thing is that any card that has multi-format play but has a commander underpinning is where you want to be because those are the extended arts we're seeing making motion. Things like Dryad of the Elysian Grove, Shadow Spear, Nyx Lotus, uh, Great Henge, 
um, all this kind of stuff that shows up here and there and constructed, but will always have a home in Commander, that's a good place to be. I'm with you. Uh, now tell me about, you mentioned the one of these a little bit, but uh, go off a little bit on, on these other two, because one of them I'm not sold on, and the other uh, I think is a, a pretty easy pick. Okay. So the first one here is Rat Colony Secret Layer version. And to me, this is just a monster slam dunk. The total listings right now is 13. There are six or seven, eight dollar copies, and then it goes up to 10. So the ramp's not super steep, but the ramp is almost certainly wrong, wrong, wrong. Every week we pick the card that we think is the most reliable winner, and I think that this week my pick is going to be the Amano Lilianas, but I could easily be convinced that it's the Rat Colonies. Here's the thing. This is one of those cards where it reads a deck can have any number of. That's a big differentiator. (laughs) We're used to thinking in terms of things that you can play four of, or in the Age of Commander, maybe you have four decks that run the same card, so you need four copies. But these decks that run rat colonies run lots of copies. And you're not going to be all gauche and mix your regular pack versions with your secret layer versions. If you're buying the secret layer versions at all, it's because you want a deck's worth. So 20, 30, 40 copies, and we've only got 13 listings left in Near Mint. So you could buy all of these pretty confidently and relist them at 20 to 30 later and be in just fine position. So uh, my the thing I tried to figure out was um, how many copies the average uh, commander deck wants of these. And I, I was poking around uh, ADH rec, and I couldn't figure it out. And I was trying to do the math myself, and I got to around 20. Because you have a lot of accessories for the rats, but you really just need a critical mass of just rat, 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 rat. And... Um, you're either going to go deep on these or you're going to go deep on the Relentless Rats because they don't count... Wait, what's the wording on Rat Colony? Is that for each other Rat Colony or each other Rat? No, it gets plus one, plus zero for each other Rat you control. Each other Rat? Uh, Okay, yeah, so... um, And Relentless Rats is only about Relentless Rats. For each other creature named Relentless Rats. Okay, so yeah, that's why the Rat Colony is probably just better although the relentless rats gets the toughness bonus you you know you don't care you're flooding the board with the rats and you're playing your marrow nars and um your ogre uh, patron of the nizumi or your commander can be inkai's yeah all that all that good stuff so I, i think it's somewhere around 20 so there's one commander decks worth left on uh tcg right now it's it's important to flag that this is very much a niche deck. <laughs> None of these rat commanders are ever going to break the top 50. This is just a, a sheer, it's a unique play based on wanting 20 copies, possibly plus, of a card. And it has a cross, uh, an overlapping Venn diagram with collectors. Because there are still collectors out there that might have decided they want all the secret layer cards. And they're going to pick them off one by one as well. Maybe they're not building decks with them, but they still need them for their collections. 
dudes like my dad are going to get one of everything. So this stuff was going to drain out just from those people, let alone if somebody comes in here and snaps off 20 or 30 copies, he's just going to be gone. So I, I have, and the other thing about these is you can't really easily arbitrage them back from overseas because neither Japan nor Europe got these cheaply. They, they, on current secret layer drops, they are airdropping inventory into Europe and then distributing it, which makes the shipping a lot cheaper. But in the early drops for secret layer, they didn't do that. So <laughs> there are no cheap rat colonies overseas. So once this TCG inventory disappears, whatever post prices get posted, that's going to be the price. And, and vendors are, how often do you think these are going to come in through buy list, especially during the COVID era where buy lists are already challenged? I think you're going to end up with like somebody who buy lists uh, their whole deck's worth because they got to sell off yeah. their deck and that's about it. And that guy, that, that guy or girl might show up once a year. <laughs> it may be like, I, I would guess out of 10 big stores, you might get two rat decks sold a year or something across all of North America. And the rest of the time, if you bought these cards, it's because you intend to play them. All right. You, you won me over on this one. This was the one I wasn't sure about. So oh, interesting. Yeah. I Come on, man. They're fucking rat colony. Who? But you're right. It doesn't take that many people who want it in order yeah. to crank this up. And that's the main thing, that it takes five people who each want 20. And now you have like a real problem on your hands because they can't all get it. Well, and, here, and we have a history of this, right? This isn't the only time we've seen this. Persistent Petitioners is, petitioners is also going to go this route, but it, it, we're not talking about a secret layer version of the card. Secret layer version of any of these kinds of cards is always going to catch my attention because there's only been three or four examples of these in Magic's history that are relevant. They're, they've all been buys um, in one form or another, and this is the only one that's been a secret layer. So the other pick here isn't a pick for this week. It's a uh, reminder that there was a pick six weeks ago where I made this call and the price is still holding, but the inventory is dropping out. So uh, I sold a bunch of Mothras this week. So I was double checking what the regular foil mythic version of Luminous Brood Moth was going for. And you can still get them for 25 or 26, which is what I called it at six weeks ago. But there's not very many left. And the call to go 26 to 40 plus seems real solid. There just doesn't seem to be that much Ikoria around. Keep in mind, Ikoria was released in the midst of COVID. They even delayed it, hoping that COVID was going to disappear. And when it didn't, they eventually bit the bullet and released it. It is the top-selling extended art for Ikoria on TCG Player. And there are 14 listings left for the foils. And the ramp is very cleanly from 25 to 45. I mean, it's it feels like it should be a standard staple. I mean, it gives all your stuff you know, uh, the bounce back. So it should be good. And it's got a long time still to be good if we ever get back to paper standard again. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. This seems like All a right. slam slam dunk. Honestly, this might be the strongest set of picks we've had in weeks, just in the, from the perspective of so many of these cards being clear winners that have supply challenges that I don't think the market is going to be able to overcome. Normally, like, I feel like you and Travis just want to shit all over my picks and I got to defend myself. It's nice to know that once in a while I can, you know, please the boss. It's hard to, it's not hard to win me over if your supply is real low because <laughs> that, that is core to my action. That's the, my, the thesis for my entire 
participation period in MGG Finance is focus on what is in low supply and cannot easily be resupplied. Fair enough. All right, so we're going to shift over to segment four. Just, you know, some quick thoughts, uh, insights, as it were, on Core 21 and Jumpstart. One of the things we mentioned early on in the cast tonight was that uh, the collector booster boxes for Core 21A seem to be in short supply. Unclear to me whether there are more or less of them than Ikoria, but if it's about equal, Ikoria boxes are already 240 to 250, not too far out. And it's entirely possible that the collector boosters for Core 21 have been short printed even beyond what they would have done for a summer set. Because do you realize that in two and a half weeks, spoilers for Double Masters start? Oh, God. Stop it. Which is going to be a massive release oh. and and then in early september we have the green commander uh 10 card or eight card set can't remember which i think eight uh and then we're right into zen three previews in the middle of september so and then we have what another six weeks until commander legends exactly God damn. so that's a lot and i don't think they've got time or energy to be dealing with trying to push a bunch of units of collector boosters through the supply chain that just don't that have already been passed by the hype cycle so i suspect both icoria and core 21 collector boosters are going to be in relatively short supply certainly less than theros collector boosters which certainly seem as though and i have various forms of confirmation from vendor and distributor contacts that theros was the highest print run of all the collector boosters and that's why you saw them sitting around a couple months later at 135, 140, 150, 160, that kind of pricing. And why they're also the easiest still to get from major vendors. Um, however, one of the things we mentioned earlier as well is that the Core 21 collector boosters seem to have six to seven foil extended arts in them, which sounds like really great value, but may undercut the value of the cards themselves. It certainly suggests to me that the bad ones, the ones that are basically bulkster pieces, are going to get really, really low. Uh, bulkster pieces. That's really good. And so, and so it's possible that if you spot a card that whose moment has not arrived, one of these really weird cards that might get really good later, that only where the only premium version of it is the extended art. Um, you know, those could be big wins because they might get really cheap. Um, I don't have any of any examples off the top of my head because I've been mostly focusing on the important cards uh, in Core 21 and Jumpstart, but something to think about. We, we need to keep an eye on what happens with the extended art foils in Commander in uh, Core 21 over the next three to four weeks because we'll be wanting to compare them to the prices on other extended arts. Now, one of the things that may may ex may uh, befuddle our attempts to make that an apples-to-apples -apples comparison is that we're now... <laughs> there's a big difference between where we're at now and what we know about the potential price points for extended art foils and extended arts in general versus where we were when I was making all those mistakes in late September of last year. We now have a pretty good handle on what the desired entry point is for a strong multi-format staple extended art. You're generally looking for something around seven to ten bucks. 
You're talking about your dryad of the Elysian groves for rares. Dryad of the Elysian groves, your emeries, your shadow spears, you know, Nyx lotus, this kind of stuff. Um, however low it gets, somewhere in that five to ten dollar range. You try to find the low, you buy in some, and you 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 know, if it gets a little further down the ramp, you buy some more. If you sit on those for a year, maybe two years, you're going to be in good shape. Now, foil mythics, on the other hand, that are of any great renown, are a coming out of the gate pretty pricey now because vendors have seen what happened with foil great henges out of throne of eldraine being worth over a hundred dollars so a lot of the the foil mythics for core 21 are priced real high um and especially if they have multi-format applications and so this behooves you again to consider joining pro traders so you can get access to european inventory because the commander focused stuff you know i was talking about making money off the uh, foil Godzilla cards out of Europe at tremendous margin in a very short period of time because Europe looks at that stuff and goes, how are we going to move this? Not only is Godzilla not a major cult cultural touch point in most of the European countries, but they also don't really play a lot of commander and they're all being much more serious about their COVID lockdowns. So it's not like people are rushing out to gather to, to play magic in the public square in the middle of Germany. All of which adds up to a lot of opportunity. But it also means vendors are getting more and more educated about how these cards should be priced. And so it's going to be, you know, potentially tougher locally in North America to, you know, get this stuff at a discount unless you flag a card that other people, you know, don't think much of. Does that all make sense to you? Yeah, I'm with you. You've done a pretty good job breaking that down. Now, one of the other complicating factors is they keep changing the formulation. We've got this graphic that I put together that we posted for the pro traders that shows what the slot assignments are in collector boosters going all the way back to Throne of Eldraine. And it changes every set. And now we're hearing that the foil extended our drop rate is changing. So it's a little tricky to figure out the EV of these boxes unless you do some fairly involved math. And none of the major content uh, sites are really doing that math yet. Um, you know, Saffron runs uh, an article on EV of every set, but he tends to, if the stuff gets complicated and outside of his usual formula, he tends to gloss over it or ignore it, especially if it doesn't, if the stuff in question is especially rare. And he doesn't do an EV article for the collector boosters specifically. So you have, you, the main source of information for most people is YouTube videos. The people are doing tons of unboxing videos. And you can get a sense of what you can expect if you watch, you know, five or ten of these unboxing videos you'll get a sense of what you can expect to pull out of these things core 21 sets are looking pretty juiced now there's also the other complicating factor is that one of the formula changes was this introduction of the sh reprint showcases the closest analog for which was in icoria they yanked out they separated out the triomes to be additional showcases. So in Ikoria, of course, we got the comic book art for the mutate creatures. We got the uh, showcase art for the triomes. The uh, planeswalkers had comic book art as well. And then you had the Godzilla stuff that was related to box toppers and collector boosters and Japanese boxes. Now with Core 21, you've got the, the reprints uh, that we mentioned earlier. You've got the really nice cultivate art um, and I think the foil showcase cultivates are going for about 12 right now. And I think the regulars are somewhere between 5 and $7. Definitely 
cultivates grim tutors massacre worms uh solemn simulacrums all of these cards are desirable specs the question is what are these worth what are these tremendous multi-format staples going to be worth given that they are showcase and not extended art and the confusion in the market <laughs> by introducing borderless showcase that sells alongside the extended arts um the average player is not going to rem remember any of this in a couple of years so it's really going to be a function of uh print run and availability of supply that's going to determine the ultimate prices you know they i don't think wizards want like wizards doesn't want us to have perfect information they've established that very early on they they try to hide tournament uh, they they are not giving us the full tournament results. They don't want to tell us how many uh, copies of something are out there, you know, things like that. So the fact that they keep changing it, I think, is by design, just so that we don't get used to it. Like there was real there was real stability in foils, like uh, up until um, Sword of Eldraine, because well, up until more like. Um, uh, core 20, uh, I'm sorry, core 19, because, no, it was core 20 where they juiced the drop rate, right, for foils? Yeah, the foil drop rate was boosted by 50% with that set. Right, so up until then, you know, you had a, a real solid indicator of, as the foil multiplier, was was this a, uh, a casual demand? Was this standard demand? You could extrapolate from that data. And now, you got no fucking idea. You cannot... That use the data as effectively as you could yet anyway until they stop changing things we can't make a real determination uh, all we know for sure is that foils and non-foils of the original art are about the same price which is right. a, so. a pretty amazing change from a year ago so <laughs> yeah and something that was part of our culture for 10 to 15 years right so right it's it's a it's amazing how quickly we've been forced to adapt and have adapted and it's interesting that the words foil multiplier have almost fallen out of mtg finance oh, it's, parlance it's entirely now yeah like it's just not even something we talk about and it's not really the the only foil multiplier i'm interested in at this point is the you know showcase foil to non-foil multiplier the extended art foil to non-foil multiplier and there are so many different um formulations so for instance if you're talking about the godzilla promos the non-foils came one per box and the foils only came in these two or three other unique scenarios so you've got to run unique math to just just to figure out what the ratio the print run ratio likely was between the foils and the non-foils to begin with because it's not the predictable print run <laughs> it's entirely possible that it's not but maybe the same print run uh, or ratio as you would see in regular booster boxes for foils and non-foils it's pretty wacky stuff and so comparing apples to apples or even set to set is no longer easy to do you're you're kind of forced to do unique math with each formulation and it's going to be a lot of rough cut math and ultimately it's it underscores in huge red pen that our you know, if this central thesis of the MTG price approach to MTG finance is to make and save money by focusing on availability of supply and ease of resupply, that has never been more true than it is now. 
because a lot of the other uh, touchstones that you could rely on to predict pricing have either gone the way of the dinosaur or are being changed so frequently that very little other than current supply levels and play patterns is going to help inform your decisions. I still can't believe I missed the uh, the group buy on the Amano Lilies. Like uh, you mentioned that, and I'm like, ah, oh, I was do I was at the grocery store when that was happening. I gotta stay well, on top I, of that. I, I wouldn't feel too badly about it because sometimes when we have really low inventory buys, like I think we only put up 16 copies or something, and people could buy four, but not more than four, meaning that you had to buy four. So there was really only four lots, and given that we have hundreds of members, that was a tiny, tiny, tiny buy. And, it, and we also these. reserved that inventory for the brand new members who have never done a group buy, which is something we try to do, you know, once a month or so is have one of the buys prioritized for new members so that people that, you know, are paying us 80 bucks a year can, or eight bucks a month, can get in and get some, a big chunk of their value back right, right away and see that, you know, pro, pro traders is easily worth the money, much more than worth the money. We're going to have to do an episode that just focuses on the amazing things the Discord does. Um you know, and 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 some 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 of which comes from some of which comes from us, and a lot of which comes from the community helping each other, right? Yeah, like people pointing out uh, the arbitrage that you can get on some of these. Three three or four three or four posts made by members this week have made me hundreds, if not thousands, of potential dollars. Um, I also like the number of um, international get-alongs we're getting. Uh, people like saying, oh, I'm here in Europe, uh, you know, hook up with me and we'll set up, uh, you know, you can buy up and then get your own uh, Chilcot special mailed to you. Well, the other thing is we're making that official. So we're in a trial program now where, you know, a lot of members have hooked up and managed to work that out on their own and that's fine. Do that on their own time. But we've actually put together a fee schedule now that becomes a template for people to use when they want to do a purely financial transaction as opposed to trading favors with friends. Um, so this is basically a model that we're going to test with a small group of our members uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. And we'll probably loop in the small amount of members we have in Japan as well to get some more arbitrage opportunities available to the membership and make it easier to buy stuff in Europe. Um, and we're going to be doing it with two kinds of partners. Some of the partners are going to be members that are in Europe that are just acting as individuals, probably just bounce shipping and getting a little cut of the action. And some of the partners are going to be for people that are looking to get stuff in more volume. Like some of our members are running stores. Some of our mem members are uh, fairly deeply uh, committed to buying a lot of inventory, like buy cases of things, not boxes of things. Those people will be put to put into relationships with vendor partners, mm. and will be able to order directly from vendor inventory in Europe. Um, so, uh, largely on singles, but some sealed product opportunities as well. As well, because some, sometimes even if they can't sell overseas, folks will break down, you know, a box into singles and guarantee you the inventory, and you can save on shipping that way. There's all sorts of cute little things you can do. So we're we're just trying to add more and more value all the time. Is the bottom line. Yay, value. Um, what else did you want to say about Core 21? Well, I, I, that's probably most of what's going on with Core 21. Although the other thing to consider about Core 21 is that they released it alongside another set. Yeah. Jumpstart. <laughs> and, and this is something that people, you know, everybody was like, oh my gosh, it's crazy that these are out at the same time. But people haven't really wrapped their heads around what that means <laughs> when your core set, which has traditionally been the lowest seller of the year, has another set released right alongside it. And that set 
has supply challenges. Like it's been announced by Wizards that 50% or so of the allocations that vendors were guaranteed or expecting to receive, they're not going to get in wave one. Now this is a print to demand product that could be printed in additional print runs throughout the next year in much the same way that Modern Horizons was not a limited print run. But the reality is I suspect that Jumpstart is going to be very hard to come by for the next four to six weeks. Then there's going to be a second wave and you will see some reasonably priced boxes and, and singles prices will probably hit their peak supply mark out say somewhere between four and eight weeks hard to tell depends when that inventory lands but i think that jumpstart is going to behave a lot like war of the spark japanese boxes did keep in mind that um that was a a a surprise like nobody knew that was coming i had not heard anything along the great like in the rumor mill about japanese war of the spark I, i think within a couple of weeks of it being officially announced somebody said there was something weird going on with the japanese boxes and we were theorizing about it in our discord but we didn't know what it was we certainly didn't know it was like a 50 percent drop rate of alt art planeswalkers and without that information nobody could really make any plans so nobody had really ordered any japanese product and once it started making the rounds that were, there was something going on with those japanese boxes they were priced high right away and i ended up importing a bunch of them from japan and flipping them at 200 plus and people were happy to pick them up and we just bought those boxes for less than 100 a year later at the tail end of the inventory. So War of the Spark was very scarce in Wave 1 by design. I mean, uh, Japanese War of the Spark especially um, by design. And, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 weeks later, it wasn't that hard to come by. And boxes came down to, I think, about 120 to 140, depending on where you were buying them, whether you're using an eBay coupon and whatever. Um, but they never really got, they didn't ever sync up with English pricing and, you know, partially because of the Amano being present and also because of the depth of the set in general. And though they have been out there in the market for a long time, a lot of the big vendors like Card Kingdom that were, you know, selling off cases of it ran out of that product and it's dried up in a lot of locations. And... I think you're going to see the same kind of thing with Jumpstart. Really hard to come by. The singles are going to be sky high for a while. Then it's going to get a little more tame. But it's unclear how many more waves there will be beyond that. So it could be that it behaves a little like Japanese War of the Spark or a little like maybe Conspiracy, where 6, 12, 18 months out, this stuff is very scarce again. And, you know, there's a bunch of quality commander mythics in jumpstart that could be very expensive like they make they give me that selvala heart of the wilds kind of field but there's like 10 of them yeah um there's a couple things going on with jumpstart that um like it was designed for downtime it was designed for like you've got 20 minutes in where your round finished early at a magic fest and your friend also finished early and you're looking for something to do, and you can just each grab a couple packs and play a randomized uh, but still semi-structured game, and also gain some, you know, uh, reasonably valued things in the process. Well, we don't have in-store play right now. We don't have Magic Fests at all for 2020, and uh, I think that you're going to see, exactly like you said, 
some sell volatile prices where they expected these to be good commander cards and they're clearly designed that way but they weren't expecting the complete lack of oh shit nobody can get their hands on this and nobody can like open it casually it's going to be very heavily biased towards like who wants to pick up several boxes and who wants to crack it open for value um this like i'm planning on picking up a lot of jumpstart um when this first allocation arrives uh not like i don't want to be one of the first buyers that's the express route to losing a bunch of money but i do plan on getting a lot of these cards because they're going to be like they're going to require a reprint a, a reprint uh in some other set but they won't be able to do that for at least a year or two like it took them how long to reprint selvala some of the stuff could show up in a mystery brewsters 2 kind of project sure where they have a huge set list like we can't rule out secret lair um jump start sure. only you know that's yeah they, they they do have the the capability to throw little projects like that together that are pure profit if they want to and you know nothing is we're not in a situation yet anymore where we can say everything is safe from a reprint for two to three years minimum yeah now we are clearly in a position you know fabled passage etc mana crypt twice in the same year um where stuff can get reprinted faster but it's still going to be relatively small percentage of the stuff like got a little burned on fable passage extended art foils didn't expect them to reprint it as an extended art within the year certainly didn't think they would use the same art in that situation it's the very but, first extended art reprint we've had so yep but jumpstart boxes are about 140 to 150 right now i really want those to get a lot closer to 100 before i bite because they only have 24 packs in them they don't have any foils and yes there is a ton of good reprints and a ton of interesting new cards you got allosaurus shepherd is currently at 50 bucks plus tiny bones is at 47 right now on tcg player (laughs) Uh, Bruvac the Grand Eloquent is at 43, Craterhoofs at 43, Muxus is at 32, Oracle of Moldiah at 30 plus, Nayeth of the Dire Hunt at 30 plus, Exquisite Blood, Branching Evolution, and Emil the Blessed, all pretty close to 30. You know, this this set's really deep. And last week we were talking about the um the lands, the themed lands with jason and travis and they were saying ah, i don't you know once we get some inventory of this these have got to like it's got to dry up like the basic land finance is dead they were saying and i was like okay hold on though generally speaking that's true when you're talking about basic lands thing is these aren't basics these are mythic basics huge difference that phyrexian swamp is currently market price 19 bucks on TCG Player, but it is sold out. There are none to be had. And that will change, and maybe that pushes it down to 15, maybe it pushes it to 10, but I don't think that swamp goes sub 10, because I think vendor, vendors and speculators will snap it off. There's no way that swamp goes below 10. Um, it's written in Phyrexian. Like, that alone is a $10 card. So but, um, and, and, it's, and it's a mythic. The, the bottom line is that that theme... Shows up at the lowest drop rate of any of the themes in Jumpstart. And you only get one of these swamps in that pack. You get six or seven basics, but most of them are core 21 basics. 
even in the themed pack, you only get one. And you probably only see that pack once per box if you're lucky. So a box might only have one swamp, one Phyrexian swamp. And there's five or six other of the, the basics that are going to be reasonably desired. Um, but, uh, for instance, the planes with the, the dog on it is going for market price like eight bucks. The island, uh, there's another island and a planes that are about five bucks each. So it's worth considering that the basic lands in your box, the EV might be something like probably 15 to $20. Um, and might fall as low as 10 to 15, but probably doesn't fall much below that. It reminds me kind of of the uh, foil Nyx lands in right. the Theros Beyond Death Collector boosters, giving you 4 or $5 worth of value in all of your 12 packs, which underwrote those collector booster boxes to the tune of 40 to $60, depending on how you wanted to out them, which is a pretty big deal because I was getting... You know, even if that's the least desirable of the collector booster boxes, it still has some pretty big hitters in there. I mean, you're looking at foil potential getting a foil art art alt foil extended art Uro, which is headed for two to three hundred dollars. And the Knicks lands, you know, taking a hundred and thirty-five dollar box I got on eBay down to seventy-five dollars makes it all the easier to get your value. I'm with you on that. I don't. I don't think people should sleep on Jumpstart. I. It, it looks like something that would, like, be a lot of fun to to open on a casual basis. Um, like, I think I talked about this at one point with you on a cast after um, Magic Fest Reno, like drafting Mystery Booster when uh, all kinds of cards are buy listing for. Uh, I, I basically I was up on the weekend and I done eight drafts. Like, I hadn't even sold any of the playtest cards. I had simply just been buy listing back uh, all kinds of stuff to the buy lists. Uh, I didn't open it. The one thing I really wanted to open was a Mana Crypt. But, like, when you can when you can have the value plus the experience, and that's really what Jumpstart is designed to be, a lot like Mystery Booster, like, you can go through a ridiculous amount of product. And yep. This is des- this is clearly designed to have like it's got money reprints and cards that are clearly going to be money. Um, but they knew that this was going to be a chase card when they said double the milling. So you know we're going to see it, all kinds of um, repercussions from that. And I just I, I think everything from Jumpstart is going to carry a real high premium because of the 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 lack of being able to open it in a casual context. We're just not going to get that supply put into circulation because of that. It really all depends on when Magic Fests come back and LGS is reopened with a vengeance because people will flood back in. Once it's safe, everybody will want to go play. And Jumpstart and Mystery Boosters will be a great way to get people in the door because they might their experiences that a lot of people may not have yet have had because Mystery Booster Retail Edition landed during COVID. And so did Jumpstart. So many of us will never, even if we've bought some of the product, we've never played it with other people. And that could be running a bunch of, you know, hyping up some access to those products vis-a-vis local and regional tournaments could put a bunch of inventory in the market and could prompt Wizards, more importantly, to, you know, print a third and fourth wave of either of those products. So that's definitely worth watching. But in in a circumstance where none of that emerges in the next 
six to nine months, which seems actually very likely. We're only halfway through 2020. We know we're not getting any Magic Fests in 2020. It's... And from what I've when I've heard in the grapevine, they're pretty sure they're not doing it for the first quarter of 2021 either. Simple simple reason of there are major liability issues to running major events. Yeah. So bit really big events like your your fan expos, your San Diego Comic Cons, Magic Fests, all that kind of stuff, sporting events, etc. You better be sure you've got your legal ducks in a row before you commit to that stuff because I... there are all sorts of downsides and it's not just that you could get sued later it's also that you could just get wrecked later when you have to cancel them all over again because as we've seen in the u.s you could go through a period of mostly being you know adherent to smart policy staying safe wearing the mask staying home and then if certain states explode into a hot zone again there goes your magic fest so very unlikely wizards is going to commit to that until they feel real certain about it all right here's Let's let's do a little thought experiment here. Uh, I'm offering you an over under on the next Magic Fest that will be held in the the continental U.S. And I'm offering you, uh, let's say, July of 2021. One year, basically one year away. If I if I had to guess, it would be like around that date. Like late spring, early summer, they might try to revive GP Vegas and make it a big, big deal. Come on, it's safe. Everybody come. That that would work. Like, and it'll be a big event. Yeah, if 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 COVID is more or less put to sleep at that point, if you've still if you're still running, if, yeah, it's a huge if. I'll put it to you this way: I wouldn't bet on any of it. <laughs> I'm last week when we did the set review with Jason and and Travis. We brought Jason on specifically because we only cared about talking about Core 21 and Jumpstart from the perspective of Commander. Yeah. Casual, Cube, Collectors, etc. We don't care whether any of these cards are standard Pioneer Modern playable to much, to, beyond acknowledging when a card is multi-format. Because frankly, who knows when that's going to kick back off again and whether that's even the future of the brand. The longer you leave people in this kind of casual collector mode, the more they may shift into it. You might have Magic players out there that are building Commander decks that weren't before because that's all they've got access to. And it's actually a relatively... It's actually, if you if you can recall building your first collector decks, I mean Commander decks, it's it's a fun new part of the hobby that you can do by yourself. It's a lot, it's a lot better than, you know sorting your bulk or sleeving up your your collection <laughs> uh i i remember that very clearly like getting a deck idea and uh running with it in the, the first days but that was when that was because i was the the target commander audience like i had 20 years of cards to look through and new ideas to bounce off of and a bunch of other people who were just like i feel like building uh the the steroids deck like everybody in there looks like they're on steroids, so uh, I I get you on that, and I I don't I think that it it is going to come back with a vengeance. I would like to know what the rate of new accounts has been on Arena and uh, Magic Online. I would be you know pretty curious to know how strongly the brand has been able to grow online, and once we can do stuff in person again, it it'll be pretty sweet. But uh, in the in the meantime, um, 
don't buy jumpstart cards the first week but i think i'm going to be looking at it around week three and see where prices are at and let the you know the first wave is always the people who have to have it no matter what the price is you got to let that calm down and then see where we're at i don't know what the best entry point for jumpstart is going to be but i suspect it is whenever wave two hits plus two weeks or so that's fair. I can believe that. There are... So I, I, I'm not jumping in on most Jumpstart cards now. We'll certainly be looking to do a deal for the pro traders in Europe, because if Europeans crack these boxes and they're full of a bunch of cards that don't sell in Europe, those cards will be cheaper. And if they get caught holding them, they'll get cheaper still. So it'll be all about taking a look at where that lands and going from there. Folks, if we haven't convinced you to get in our Discord by being a pro trader yet, I don't know what else we can do. Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize there's a lot of uh, side shilling going on here, but these are true facts. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so come I, check it out for yourself and you'll see. If you want to come check it out for a month, it's like eight bucks and we'll refund it if you're not satisfied because nobody, nobody ever quits <laughs> after a month. So go ahead and find out. He's got the data, folks. He would know. Yep. All right, so uh, I guess we'll we'll call that a, a wrap. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, two main places. First of all, I'm on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via weekly articles. Actually, it's a lot less than weekly lately, let's be <laughs> honest. Um, my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'm a busy boy, after all. Uh but I am haunting the ProTrader Discord pretty much all the time. So you can find me in there and get all the same kind of advice I would write up in an article anyway. And uh, ProTraders have uh, constant access to myself, other staff members, and our lovely uh, Discord... Um, I was going to say auditors, but they're not auditors. Auditors, they are moderators. It's because I've been watching people audit cops on YouTube, but that's a discussion for another night. Uh also, like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, once again, MTG Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Gathering singles. Uh, sealed product and all sorts of other collectibles don't forget to use the promo code finance plus the number five at checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast a pleasure as always james uh i don't know when travis will be able to rejoin us but i'm always happy to stop by and uh you know co-pontificate with you thank you so much for joining us cliff we'll see you guys next week on another episode of mtg Fast Finance.